You're listening to the Thinking Hardly Podcast. Uh, do I have to? Oh, okay, cool. Hello? No, we're good, yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How's your week so far? Good. I'm tired. I'm just tired. I, I woke up early because the cat wanted in my room and she was just yelling. <laughs> so what time is early? What does that mean? What time's early? Uh, like 6.30. Oh, that is early. Yeah. I mean, I usually get up then if I'm actually having to drive to work because yeah. that gives me an hour um, before I have to leave. But mm-hmm. I'm just used now I'm just used to getting up at like 7.45. <laughs> Right, because your commute is from your bedroom to the, yeah, yeah, to the to the to whatever the the living room or the kitchen or whatever. Roughly twenty feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how's Danica? She's doing good. Um, I think. Well, I went over there like once. I think in the time since we last talked. And is she back? Are they, so are they doing all? Of in-person schooling now? Yeah, yeah, they're all in-person. So uh, this was the first week of that being the whole thing. I'm pretty sure. So that's a lot better for her. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it, at least. If she doesn't get sick anyways. (laughs) Yeah. How many kids did she have in her class? Um, I think like eight or nine. Um. She's in a special education class, so it's pretty limited. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think she was having like three or four kids in per day before because it was split. When they were doing a hybrid thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They were doing yeah. like a Monday, Tuesday, or I don't really know how it worked, but they were doing like the week was split up between in person and then online. And so only like the two halves of the class would never be in the same room. Mm hmm. Well, I guess that's better, but I mean, still eight or nine kids, that's a lot uh, for special ed, ed, I imagine. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think that it's one of those things where I'm pretty sure um, they're only like, they're not there all day because some of them get Mm. pulled out of their normal classes to go there and stuff like that. So Mm. I don't really know, you know, exactly how the day goes. Yeah. Well, that's good. Glad she has that job, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like, uh, probably for the foreseeable future, teachers are going to be in pretty high demand. Like she said that she's gotten emails from a lot of other places she applied to, like Mm -hmm. since she started working this one, either for subbing or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that's because they have, fewer and let's see how would that work well maybe they're trying to make the class size smaller or something i guess the class size has to be smaller if the class is a certain size and they and they have to space the kids out physically yeah i also wonder if there's a lot of people doing like tutoring and stuff um kind of draining the employee pool that you normally have applying for all these things could be. I mean, interestingly, our friend Monica, who lives the next you know, the hill town over, um, she's a uh, she's a um, what would I say? 
language, you know, she teaches different languages. So she's teaching English in our little Italian village uh, at least for a month. And it's the first time she's been called in to do that. So I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a, just a basic shortage everywhere, or maybe it's just coincidental. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this probably also meant that a lot more people were like, I mean, I wonder, I wonder what retirements look like right now. You know what I mean? If people were like close, might be like, uh, maybe I'll just need to do that now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know enough about it. I don't know whether it's the supply of teachers that's decreasing or the demand is going up or whatever. But good for her, though. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, like I said, I'm not even really worried about that part for her because, like, literally everyone that I've talked to that's worked with her just, like, loves her. Mm. So I think she'll be fine. She'll probably get, you know, even if she wanted to move, I'm sure she would be able to find something. That's sweet, man. That's really good. She seems like a really solid person, seems very calm. So I can imagine why people would, would want to work with her. Yeah, she was just telling me about she promised a kid that if he didn't have any behaviors that day, that she would get him candy and Mountain Dew for the next day, thinking that he wouldn't do it. And apparently it worked. <laughs> so she's got she's to get him some stuff for tomorrow. That's great. That's the way I used to teach Sunday school. I would just bribe my way through it every Sunday. I was literally throwing throwing candy at kids if they read the right Bible verse or even appeared to be paying attention. Yeah, that's the way to do it, it seems like. I guess. Mm. Okay, so did you watch the debate? I did not. I picked up some uh, highlights on Twitter. Uh huh. It seems like I made the right decision. That's what everybody said. I haven't watched it either. I want to watch it, but Gina absolutely wants nothing to do with it after after reading the <laughs> the reviews. She thinks she just well. She talked to her. She talked to Ron, her dad, about it, and Ron said he watched maybe I don't know, like twenty minutes of it or half an hour. He said he couldn't he couldn't take any more of it, so he he just turned it off. Um. So I don't know. Maybe it's not worth watching. I have no idea. What of the st- of the stuff you picked up? What was like? What what struck you about it? Well, it's just some weird little like moments from it. Um, Biden said uh, "Inshallah" uh, sarcastically again, uh, which I like that. I think that's funny. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, probably not a presidential candidate type of thing. <laughs> um, so what does that mean? Does that mean like uh, that? That means literally God willing or something like that. But yeah, that's exactly. not how it's that's not how it's actually used by the Muslim community. It kind of is, um, but it's just. I mean, I've I've definitely heard it used in that context. But uh, I, you know, I don't really know too much. I just know that it is like yeah, God willing, and most people don't use it like just you know for little flippant stuff like that. I would say yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's hilarious because I've, I've heard him do that before. Uh, I think during the primary, he said it a couple times, not on debate stages, but like just yeah. talking to reporters. And what then, that's uh, about? Well, like, what is that about? Well, I just think it's something that you probably, it's a, probably a phrase that a lot of people have come in contact with, especially, I mean, you know, these guys, 
you know, a lot of defense people are there. They kind of have that little wry sense of humor about uh, things that they probably shouldn't be laughing about because Mm -hmm. it's like a coping mechanism probably. Yeah. Um, At least for some of them. But it's just, you know, it's like, it's like slang that you hear. I don't know. It's like slang that you hear that you think is goofy, but like you kind of use it ironically and then it works its way into your actual just using it normally. Uh huh. Um, and I think that's probably, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I just think it's funny that he said that it, it was like at a weird moment where it wasn't even that, like you couldn't really hear it that well. Uh huh. Um, okay. Well, I'll listen for that. But the main takeaway for me seems that seems to be that there's two things. Um, well, actually three things. One, it seems like it's mostly lying from both of them from, is what I've heard, mm. uh, which is not surprising. These, you know, these guys especially are both very well known for being liars. Um, I mean, that's like what, derailed joe biden's last campaigns that he did so unpack that a little lying. bit i mean i think everybody gets i mean no one would be surprised uh to at the assessment that president trump lied yeah what's the what's the biden lie or lies well he has a record i mean during the primary he lied about a lot of things he lied about um I can't remember exactly what it was, but he it was I he lied about something about NAFTA. Um he lied about the crime bill, um uh, which I believe the nineteen ninety three, I think. You mean like nineteen ninety four crime bill, like way back? Yeah, yeah, that one. Okay. Um and um like during the primary, basically Bernie I remember Bernie tried to pin him on that and he just said, No, that wasn't me. I didn't do it. Mm. Um also, his last presidential candidacies in the past have been marred by that. One of them was stopped because of plagiarism. Yeah, um, I remember. And there's also been, I mean, there's lots of clips you can look up if you just look up Joe Biden lying. Like he's he, talking about how, you know, he was top of his class and uh, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, it turns out he was in the bottom half of his class. Um, <laughs> it's the type of stuff that Trump would lie about. You know what I mean? It's It's very... Maybe he was in the top of the bottom half. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. We're aiming very specifically. Yeah. The cutting uh, edge of the middle. But that's, you know, that's more what I mean is it seems like he's he's got a very loose way of handling things like that. And, it, you know, I don't know. I mean, he could just be mistaken about some of this stuff because. Okay. You know, All he's, right. he's kind of an old guy, but. But I'm just, you know, it's it seems like it was ramped up for that because the pressure was higher. It's a guy who's just confronting him directly the whole time. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So untruths or lies from both of them. That's one. That's a big one. One, one observation. Which, you, but but you're you're also making the point that it's not surprising. Right. I think if if you paid close attention to the primary that shouldn't be the most surprising thing ever especially because i don't know i don't think these debates are really that consequential but there's there's a few things that it could have been and that's kind of my next two points okay um so next i would say 
Trump still pretty successful at controlling the um, sort of the tone and control, like having control of the debate because of just sort of the chaos and, and like talking over, which apparently all three of them were just talking over each other the whole time. Um, also not super surprising. You're right. Okay. Right. Um, but able to but able to control the the the, uh, the the tempo and the and the I guess the affinity the just the just the sense of the whole thing like chaos yeah yeah like the tone I think yeah tone, and I think it's it. that's another thing that like because it's chaos it's way easier to create chaos than try to stop chaos in that kind of a situation so you know I'm not even saying like wow he's so great at it because I think. Um, if you look at those 2015 and 16 debates, Trump really had a lot of sort of just personal magnetism in those in that he was saying funny things. He was using the the fact that he wasn't being taken seriously to say things that he wouldn't otherwise say. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a massive advantage for him in those because he was by far the most entertaining one, even in the Hillary debates. Um, you know, he, he, he did his job for his base. And I think that leads into my final point, which is that I think Biden did succeed in that. He, he showed that he was there. He wasn't, he didn't have any like, you know, catastrophic failures in terms of just like speaking or slipping up on something that I saw. Um, I got to tell you, this is, you're not a Trump fan. I know, I, I mean, I know that, but I just want to put it out there because you're being very even handed with this, <laughs> with this thing. But I mean, it is remarkable that we're talking about the first presidential debate. We're like, <laughs> I don't know, like a month away from a little bit more than a month away from the election. And, and your points so far, I think, wait a minute, what are your points? Your points were that there was a lot of lying and we shouldn't have been surprised uh, Trump was able to was able to set the tone basically by creating chaos, which is e- easier to create than to than to you know to to create order. And the third is that is that Biden didn't have a stroke on stage, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. I don't really mean it like that, but I mean, yeah. But I think we I think we both understand, you know, how people talk about that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you, you. I guess if there had been a gaffe or worse on Biden's part, you you would have not necessarily been surprised. So maybe you were slightly surprised that he got through it without. I mean, I have to watch it. I guess I need to really do need to watch it now because in my mind, what's happening is that uh, Trump is cutting Biden off, uh, you know, left and right, and not really allowing Biden to even finish a sentence, which is, I think, maybe the assessment that Trump, or it was the expectation that Trump set was that Biden wasn't going to be able to complete a thought. Um, (laughs) I kind of wonder whether he, like, interrupted so that it was impossible for Biden to to complete a thought, or maybe he was just trying to rattle him. I have no idea. Yeah, I think it's part of Trump's style is that these politicians aren't good in direct confrontation. Usually, mm. you know, like they, yeah. it's, it's, you force errors. Like, I think that's what he did through the entire Republican campaign. 
um, he had a pretty advantaged position, I would say, just because he could so like convincingly claim he was an outsider. But I do think that like, I mean, if you look at the way that Ted Cruz responded to his attacks on like his wife and stuff, he, he, you know, they're just really ineffectual. He's not good at, at that kind of stuff. So Wait, Trump, uh, get you Cruz, into Cruz is, sorry, Cruz is not good at, at this kind of head on stuff. Is that what you're saying? Well, head on stuff in a more, in a, like in a non-academic way where it's, yeah. it's not like you can just, Oh, well, haha, I've got some little research here and I'm going to say something on Twitter and then that's going to be the end of it. Yeah, like, Trump it. is going to like directly confront you with just, you know, vulgar things that are part of your life, not, not ideological stuff, but he's going to use it to aim like at a, at an ideological wedge. Yeah. And that's why I think, I mean, the, the stuff with like Cruz saying all that crazy stuff about like torturing families of, you know what I mean? I, Trump did a lot of the same stuff, but Cruz, like part of Cruz's appeal is that he's supposed to be smarter than Trump who says that stuff. Yeah. And he got forced into saying stuff that's completely stupid because yeah. Trump put he, him in a position where he felt like pressure. Yeah. Would you say, I mean, is it fair to say rattled? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think that is one thing that Joe Biden actually has a slight advantage on in terms of most of these people is that either he doesn't know, like, I think some of this stuff, like, he probably doesn't remember whether or not, like, some of this stuff is true in terms of just, like, stuff that happened, like, 30, 40 years ago. Right. Um, and that also kind of puts you in an advantage where it's like, okay, well, if we have to have this, you know, just sort of brawl type sort of just like you know going at each other type thing it seems like at least biden's heart is in the right place for that mm-hmm. he's a combat he's a combative guy you know he was like yelling at that at that voter in that uh oh, I don't yeah. remember, that manufacturing plant yep yeah um well just so, so make it has, hang on a second just so i make sure i understand what you're saying you're saying that it maybe work to Biden's advantage that he's been in politics for so long and he's an older guy. And when Trump tries to get under his skin with something that happened a long time ago, Biden is, is deciding it's better to just let it go than to try to engage when he's not maybe a hundred percent sure of uh, what actually happened and what, you know, how he's going to respond. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I think also the Democrats understand a little better this time that, like, if you look at the primary, the fact that he did say a lot of stuff that was just wrong, like Biden said a lot of stuff that was just wrong, it didn't really hurt him. So they're kind of learning some of the Trump lessons of like, well, yeah, you can just bullshit past some of this stuff if it's not something that people are like really directly tied to. Um. What, so let me just stop. Wait, did we get to all three? Yeah, that that was all three. That was, was the, the third one. Lying, the, yep. the Trump controlling the the tempo, and then Biden. And Biden didn't Biden didn't get, go off the rails. Solid enough. Yeah, solid enough performance that I think there were a lot of people that were probably on his side that were looking to see does he look solid. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Trump did not help himself by setting the expectations that that Biden was going to need performance enhancing drugs and you know, a bug in his ear and all that kind of <laughs> all that kind of craziness. What, what do you? I know you're relatively young. I mean, young compared to me. You're not that young, but you're relatively young. What do you, I mean? What is this? What does this all say? I mean, what like where are we headed if we're just expecting either candidate to lie? You just said that you think that the, you saw the Biden campaign saw in the primary he could get away with saying things that weren't completely accurate. I mean, is this different, you think, than it's been before? Some of this seems totally different to me. I mean, I'm like 62 in uh, this whole idea of, you know, really no rules. Uh, you know, Trump clearly, uh, well, I mean, I have to look at it, but the way it's being reported is that this was just, you know, very little content and just, you know, mostly disruption and, um, you know, it didn't really advance any consideration of like real issues or anything like that. I mean, is that where we're, I mean, is that now the status quo you think? Yeah, I would say so. Um, it's, I'd say it's a bit more complicated than that because, Obviously, there are fronts like behind that um, in terms of, you know, you can see like the the left, right Democrat sort of party fight is still going, um, even though it's not on that high level. Hmm. And I think the, the basically we're in a point where like all possibility has been kind of eclipsed out of, of the equation for now. Like there's no no matter what happens with the presidential election, I don't think much is going to change. Um, yeah. In the short term. And what I'm really looking to see is how, how it shapes up, like how people internalize what happened to Bernie and um, decide what the next step is. Cause I think that's a really, really big sort of, I mean, it could go a lot of different directions and I don't really know the right answer. Yeah. So the folks, and this is, these are the people who are more, uh, you know, who you are more, you would identify with, right? People who want, are looking for substantial change on some critical issues like climate, wealth disparity, workers' rights. Um, yeah. Yeah. The stuff that, you know, healthcare, things that, you feel understandably need to be addressed. And you're saying that those things of the short term are being set aside because neither of these two candidates is going to clearly is not, it, they're not going to advance um, any of those issues in any fundamental way. Is that right? Yeah, I would say. And another thing to keep in mind with this is I don't think it's been a massive government change that's caused all this. It's just, all of the things that safeguarded the kind of lives that we think of as, as normal and expected and, and deserved have been kind of eroded away by the status quo. And it's not like the government was providing this stuff in the past, yeah. you know, but, but there were other things that did provide it, that there was enough um, incentive or there was something that was kind of keeping everything like, I don't know, leaning into the center where they was all standing up. And now you've kind of like just eroded away the foundations, I think, is, is why we're in this position of instability and 
real frustration with government is is that essentially this is like the the this is the position in which you would expect the government to try to change things when you're seeing things not work the way that they should or have in the past. And do you, so that's super interesting. Cause you said to, you said a couple of things. One is that, uh, that we're, we're in a, we're, we're facing some challenges now that we haven't faced in the past. And, uh, and, they, it, it's not because the government was solving those challenges in the past. And and then you just said, I think people are looking, some people are looking to the government as a solution. Do you, do you think there's any, it, there's no really, there's no going back, is there? I mean, is there some non-governmental way to tackle these problems? Like healthcare, I don't see how you can, like, I just don't understand. It's just an enormous part of the economy. And it like I just don't know how that gets solved any other way. I mean, where it's been addressed most successfully, the governments are involved. And I guess same thing with climate. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't well, know. What but I'm that's, it's 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 tough to get into what means what in this kind of stuff because with healthcare, especially, that's one that like the government was involved, even though they weren't like the ones securing the healthcare to people before all this yeah. stuff kind of started falling apart. It's just that there was a system that they were involved in creating where that then they weren't as involved after the fact, you know what I mean? They yeah. just kind of filled gaps. At least that's my understanding of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, well, yeah, it's, that one is super complicated because you have people making decisions that are, that are either not on the hook for the, the cost or the outcomes or they're conflicted. Uh, about about those about the cost side for sure, and um, yeah, I don't know. At any rate, the, all of these issues, I guess, no matter what you think about them, the, regardless of whether it's uh, Trump or uh, Biden that eventually prevails, uh, they, they're not going to get addressed really quickly. And then you said so, and so the people on the left now. You said what's really going to matter is how they decide to move forward. And it was, that's going to be hard to predict how that's going to unfold. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Well, I th the bigger thing is I don't know. I don't have a, a solid direction as far as that goes. Like, I don't know what the right thing to do is. Because I think there's very good evidence that the sort of electoral path that we've chosen, like, I don't know. It's it's hard to read the 2020 primary any other way than no, we will never allow this to happen. As long as we have any control of the party, this will never you happen. Mean, you mean Bernie or yeah. people like Bernie? Yeah. Anything, I mean, because that's the thing. Anything like, that's going to really rock the boat. Yeah, it's not even like a lot of those people were thinking, oh, well, Bernie's not going to get anything done. And if that's the case, then they shouldn't have been so scared of him. But they're terrified like they they did so much stuff to stop him and um that's what i mean is that's a very good indicator that that's not a solid partner like you have to either hostile take over the party which is yeah. going to be really really hard considering all of the stuff that they did in the primary um or you have to abandon it and pick another strategy which that's also leaves you with a lot of questions 
I would say. Yeah. And hard to predict. So I know I'm eating up most of your lunchtime here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk now that this, that this thing is not going to be over on election night. That's probably really clear just based on a large number of mail-in votes that take, you know, take time to count. Um, and I guess different state regulations about how that happens. Uh, and then all of Trump's talk and the stuff that's happening behind the scenes about, you know, other mechanisms by which this might end up in front of the Supreme court or whatever. I mean, it's clear that it, it, I mean, it, he seems to be acting at least and talking in a way that we wouldn't be surprised if he didn't concede unless, and maybe even in the case of a landslide on Biden's part. So if there's a, is the group you're talking about, the true left, I I don't know if that's the right label, but that's what I'm going to call them. The true left, Mm -hmm. uh, who are attracted to Bernie and are attracted to real change. Uh, is there any intersection between their interests, what they want, and whether this turns into some ugly, you know, nasty, potentially violent uh, s- set of things that happen post-election? Or is that too hard to... Yeah, that's that's really where I am. I have no idea because one of them is like the sort of you're, you're really taking away a lot of possibility to sort of like you're basically, you can have either possibility or stability right now. So. And which one, which one's which when you say that, are you saying Trump is one and and Biden's the other? Or are you saying, saying, you're saying that managing through it peacefully is one and. Yeah, it's it's well, it's kind of a time scale thing too, because you know, obviously, I think the main thing here is like this election is is turning off a lot of people in terms of just like our ability to have politics that means anything to anyone, um, because this stuff is completely inconsequential to most people. Like I would say, most people. Um, as far as what they're actually talking about and what has been proposed, it's all just sort of all of the, the consequences and things are basically they're, they're sort of predicted consequences. They're not, I don't really, I don't know. It's, I guess what I'm trying to say is if things are managed peacefully, that's stability, but there's very little possibility in that. At least. In the short term. So um, if, if, for example, Trump has a landslide and Biden concedes, or Biden has a landslide and Trump concedes, either of those things reduce the possibilities, you think, for change? Yes, um, at least in the short because term. They're, yeah, because in the short term, they're more similar than different, despite all of the animosity and, uh, and uh, heat. Um, going at each other, uh, you're saying around these fundamental issues: healthcare, climate, wealth disparity, fair, fair, you know, wages, education, housing. None of those things are going to be fundamentally attacked by either side. Yeah, um, and it'll be. I think Biden will be probably a slower austerity, and Trump will 
who knows? You know what I mean? It could go a ton of different directions because he's not, he's clearly not a good manager. Um, I think he's a good, he's good at a lot of the things of politics, but like, I mean, like we've talked about several times, it's clear he's not good at managing people, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty big. So, Sorry, obviously, I, I, you, sorry, you dropped out again. He, you said he's not that good at managing people, and then I couldn't quite catch what you. <laughs> I said, which is pretty big. Um, yeah, and uh, in this job, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big part of the job. Um, so, like, I think the one thing you could say is that Biden will probably be better at managing a crisis than Trump would. Um, yeah, that's probably pretty clear given the last, you know. Eight months. <laughs> yeah. Well, and oh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, oh, my! my I thought my computer lost power. My uh, monitors just turned off because I've been sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's. I think the best case for Biden is that uh, is just like the most basic, like, well, yeah, he was a little bit better than Trump, kind of thing. Yeah. The the recency around the the coronavirus, I think, for me certainly, you know, I, I don't know if the country could handle, uh, you know, there's no the the virus could have been a lot worse than it is. It's not, you know, it's not a lot of fun, and two hundred thousand people dying is no, you know, no no small thing. But the next virus could be even worse, or it could be something completely different. Um, to me, it does reveal this this management problem, uh, and a, and it's, it's really it's well we're kind of running out of time here. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that. I'll hold off the coronavirus stuff for <laughs> for next time we talk. But I'm gonna throw a hand grenade in just at the last minute. I know I'm already I've already eaten up more than your lunchtime than you no, can probably right. spend. Uh, but here, so here's the hand grenade. Uh, you know the the other thing that happened this year, the big thing that happened this year, separate or somewhat adjacent to or connect, not you know overlapping with the coronavirus, is racial injustice. Do, do you in all of the stuff, you know, not just not just uh, Floyd, but the entire like what that all represents? Uh, do you think things get fundamentally better with 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 Biden or? Is it going to be marginal and incremental? I think if that, it'll be marginal and incremental. I, I see no real evidence to suggest that anything will be done by the Democrats. Um, especially, I mean, even if you look at like the local stuff that, you know, that, that, um, yeah, I'm blanking on the, the, uh, the, the all of a lot of the places that have put forth like, resolutions about defunding or, or Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Minneapolis. That one I'm pretty sure is basically walked back almost everything that they said they were going to do. I think that's true. Um, and I think the only thing that solves that is pressure. That's it. Yeah. And that's got to come from us. It's not, that's what you mean, right? I mean, mean, people protesting. Things being worse may actually be better in the in the long term for like actually making something change in that way because I think that's the only way that you can ever like see that happening. It won't happen with either of these presidents. Yeah, man, that's sad, isn't it? Yeah, I'm so sorry that we're 
you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving yet, but I feel like I'm leaving you. Gina and I are leaving you guys with uh, a big mess. That's, and I think that feeds more into my stability versus uh, possibility thing is that even if it is stable, all that it does is it ratchets the lock a little bit more tight for the two party thing. You know, like if, if you can rely, if, if there's good turnout for this election and you know, like the, the Democrats feel like they can just ignore these real problems and just cater to, you know, Republicans that want to feel like they're good people. Like that's, yeah. that's a nightmare for me. Because it pulls the Democratic Party further away from. And it convinces them, it convinces them that that's a good strategy and that basically they're just free from all this pressure of people not saying, don't do what your donors want. Now they can just freely do that and not even think, oh, maybe it'll hurt our election chances. They could just be the next Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you look at the way that Biden talks. Yeah, you see that, you know, he is, he is like a, he's a late nineties Republican essentially. Yeah. But he's not Trump. Exactly. And that that's, might do. That that's might be part enough. of why I, I, that's part of why I think it's, it's kind of a, I don't know if like, I don't want anyone to do symbolic voting to, just say, oh, well, it's better than Trump. Like if you live in a place where you're not going to make a difference, I would almost encourage people to boycott voting for the presidential election on that principle. Because if you do, you're just signing, yes, I, yes, go ahead. You know what I mean? Whatever you want to do to me, I'm I'm with you. Yeah. You're not sending the right signal to the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's, it's, Strategic voting is one thing, but I think people fool themselves into thinking that their voting is strategic no matter what. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's tricky to figure out, right? Because the uh, you know it's one it's one vote in in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, uh, depending on where you live and what you're talking about. But on the other hand, if everybody thought that way, nobody would vote at all, right? So I I, I don't know. I think that I think that argument would be more compelling to me if there were some sort of, you know, organized and maybe there is, maybe you know about this, maybe you know, is there some sort of organized um thing that that is saying, you know, we're we're not gonna we're 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 going in mass not turn out. I don't know what that looks like. Um because otherwise it's hard to see the signal, right? It's just like, oh well, you know, the turnout was a little off in the younger folks. Right. But I think it's a trap. I think it's a trap essentially where like a lot of Democrats would love nothing more than for young voters to say, we're not going to vote for your candidate. So they can say, Oh, look at these, these guys don't care about marginalized people. They're, they're not even going to go vote for Joe Biden just because, just because we took their toys away. Like that's the way they want to treat it. And so if you say, yeah, we're refusing to vote for your guy. Like I feel confident saying that because I'm just one guy. But if you have an organization that's saying we speak for the left and don't vote for Joe Biden, that will like, yeah, part of this basically hinges on the fact that the part of the party that is like 
basically just like holding everything as it is. Even the 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 Republicans, they're not really conservative in that way because they're not just trying to lock in the status quo. They actually have some, you know, goals. Yeah. The Democrats literally are just like breaks. Right now, that's for sure. So in your ideal, oh man, now I'm, now I'm like way over, but I, I'm sorry, I got to just ask this. So in your ideal world, in, at least in terms of outcomes in the near, the near term, the ideal thing would be for Trump to be defeated, but the Democratic Party to be put on notice. Yeah, it's tough to say. It's tough to say because the Democrats have to face consequences, but you know, it's just like, it's basically like they always have a hostage. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't do anything because they got a hostage. And sometimes yeah. you're the hostage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you get up in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think oh, that. No, wait, I, actually, I do know your cat wakes you up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think this stuff is impossible, but like, it may be better to go a little more basic and just say, how do we just like break democratic power in some ways? Like not just in terms of electoral stuff. Cause like, obviously that kind of depends on just people voting, but the power structures need to be destroyed. Like that's, that's the, that's priority one. Yeah, that's your that's your that's your possibility is is more important than stability. Yeah, you got to break the grip I mean, on your throat before you can do anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah, for changing things. Yeah. All right. Well, it's always great talking to you. <laughs> yeah, we always <laughs> leave on such a good note. Well, somehow I feel better after talking to you, even though I'm I'm I'm. I feel like I'm learning some things, but I don't know that I'm, I also feel a little confused and definitely, you know, not, not sure about what to do. Yeah. I mean, I That's think, okay. I think it helps me because I'm so much of a thinker rather than like a, like a, I, I'm not a, I'm not a man of action. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like it's, it's a little bit less like, cause it's like, I know, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So, but I, I can understand more. Yeah. Well, somebody's got to do something. We just got to figure out what to do. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm working on that part. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll assign it to men of action, men and women of action. Yeah. Well, we might have to, I mean, you know, we might have to do a little bit of, of I don't know, work on, on that just to, because, you know, you need people yeah. like that, but... Well, I hope things get better. They're not going to get better before the next time I talk to you, probably. Probably not. We'll see what happens. Okay, well, so I'll talk to you on Sunday. All right, I'll talk to you then. Okay, I love you. Okay, and I really admire you. Thanks for putting up with me. Bye. Bye.